0: Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles.
2: New England sending QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo,
1: quick pass, caught by Kittle. He dives, and he's in. Touchdown, 49ers. Kittle is going to go. Touchdown.
2: What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Candlestick Chronicles, the 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. My name's Chris Biederman. I cover the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. With me, it's Kyle Madsen of NinersWire.com of the USA Today Sports Media Group, and he's a midday producer over at 95.7 The Game. Kyle, what's happening?
1: I've made a terrible
2: mistake, Chris. Uh, did Did you dive too deep into Senior Bowl coverage again? Kyle? Boy, did I. I'm not even in Mobile, but
1: I feel like I'm there, baby. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, uh, I made a joke on the
2: internet again. Oh, you did. And it this went is por- a recurring theme. It, with it, a- went,
1: it went poorly for your boy. At some point, I'm going to learn, but uh, today was not that day. The 49ers posted a tweet that they wouldn't have any players attending the Pro Bowl this year. And so my boss sends it to me and says hey and i saw that and i was like oh i'm doing a post about that that's hilarious and he then sent me the the 49ers tweet and he said you're gonna do a smart-ass post about this right and i was like absolutely it's already in the works and so i sat down and and i wrote what i thought was a was a funny post just about how uh the 49ers are being robbed of the pro bowl experience to just play in the super bowl i thought it was funny And it says right at the top in italics, it says, editor's note, this is not to be taken seriously. Thinking that like most people would at least click to figure out what the heck was going on. You don't even have to scroll. It says right there. (laughs) Just kidding. But uh, it didn't work out that way. I've been called a lot of mean names um, and there's uh, just more evidence that uh, I could launch into a whole thing about media consumption but I'm not going to Uh, just click, click a story and stop reading headlines because the story generally provides the proper context for said headline.
2: Yeah. And And don't make uh, jokes on the internet. Yeah. Don't make jokes on the internet or Twitter, especially if they're nuanced and it's like not blatantly clear, there's a joke or if you don't type, this is a joke uh, immediately underneath it. But um, we have, we have, Quite a bit of stuff to talk about because I don't know if you saw over the weekend, Kyle, but the 49ers beat the Packers. They beat the brakes off the Packers, really, in they the NFC the, Championship game.
1: I'm going to use, I, I'm getting like deeper into like football analytics and stuff. Uh uh-huh. um, So I'm going to use one of my fancy new analytics terms. They kicked the shit out of the Packers.
2: <laughs> yeah, so the 49ers are playing in the Super Bowl. In two weeks in Miami, they're going to play the Kansas City Chiefs. It's really, I mean, if you're a 49ers fan, just being in the Super Bowl is exciting enough. Unbelievable. But if you're just a football fan in general, it's it's an awesome matchup, right? Because you can nice. make the case that the 49ers have the best defense in the league throughout the entire season and that this is a generational offense that Andy Reid has put together in Kansas City with with Patrick Mahomes. Um, but before we dive into that matchup too much, and, and we'll do that, there, there, this is one of four podcasts that's going to come out before the Super Bowl. So we will have plenty of time to discuss all of that stuff. I will be flying to Miami on Sunday. Uh, so we will, we will be on the ground uh, and, uh, and have reports from the scene. <laughs> but um, last night at, at Levi Stadium, we're recording this on a Monday, it was really just a, a pretty remarkable a remarkable scene considering you know the it, it, it was almost like a coronation of uh or a culmination whatever whatever word you want to use to this like massive reconstruction project of the franchise that the 49ers have been going through really since everything came crumbling down with Jim Harbaugh and uh and we can go back and I'm sure we'll do that here and um look at the season and and all the different Sort of benchmarks that we thought, you know, okay, the 49ers cleared this hurdle, and and now they're sort of gaining confidence, and um, they won this game in this way, and and now they're really probably should consider themselves division winners, and now holy shit, they're they're in the running for the one seed. Um, I, I wrote a thing that's that's going to come out on the Sacramento Bee uh on tuesday about just all these different moments not all not too many five different moments and we can talk about them here too but that sort of defined the season and helped shape the way things went but kyle when when you watched last night's game and and how it went and the result knowing that it got the 49ers to the super bowl what was your what was your initial takeaway
1: i was as far as the 49ers going to the super bowl it was a weird thing because I never thought going into this year that that's the position they would be in. Like, there were so many good teams in the NFC that I thought even if the 49ers were really good, which we acknowledged before the year, like, there's a path to them going, like, 12-4 and 4 if a lot of things go right. And then they go 13-3, and 3, and by the time they got to the NFC title game, and by the time that game was ending... It just felt inevitable. It felt going into the game that they were going to win it and win it by a lot. And then that's exactly how the game played out. So it never really sank in the way that it did when they beat the Falcons in 2013. Because there was a lot more doubt in that game, especially when they went down 17-0. And then the Falcons had the ball uh, with the fourth down in the red zone near the end of the game and the Niners' defense had to get a stop. But this one felt more inevitable, and it just hasn't quite sunk in yet because I-, I don't think it's really a surprise now. The 49ers are the best team in the NFC. They deserve to be in the Super Bowl, and that's what it is. I think the big takeaway from me for this game, though, is that the 49ers' two playoff games probably couldn't have gone a lot better And we'll get into the Jimmy Garoppolo throwing 27 passes across two games and whether that's good or bad. But I think on the surface, that's really good for the 49ers because they have simply dominated and played the brand of football that they were built to play. And they executed it to perfection with a pair of really dominant playoff wins. They haven't had to open up a ton of their playbook. They haven't had to... Uh, play guys a ton of high-stress, high-leverage snaps. They've just kind of cruised to a couple of wins and going into the Super Bowl, regardless of the opponent, uh, you have to feel really good about that if you're the 49ers, that uh, they look like they're playing their best football at the right time.
2: Yeah, and I think, obviously, when you look at that game, you really have to start with Raheem Mostert. Right. Like, yeah. r- Rushing for 220 yards on 29 carries, four touchdowns. He had 160 yards and three touchdowns before halftime. It just it, it was just a completely unexpected performance from that standpoint. I mean, you and I talked about the game overall last week. And, and my prediction, I think, was something like thirty three seventeen because I just didn't see any way that the Packers were going to come in here against the best pass defense statistically since 2009 and Aaron Rodgers giving no indication that he was going to come in and, and have that type of game. Um, I just didn't see any way for the Packers to win. I, I didn't think they had a coaching advantage. I didn't think they had a talent advantage. You could make the case that they had the advantage at quarterback, but I think the Niners defense negated that pretty significantly. And now you you look at that Vikings game and you say, okay, they're running the ball. They're playing defense at the way, we saw them play in the first half of the year. Now that they got D Ford and Jaquaski Tart and Quan Alexander back, um, but the unexpected thing was Raheem Mostert having one of the best rushing performances any any of us have ever seen in the postseason. Raheem Mostert's 220 yards was the second most in postseason history since Eric Dickerson had 248 in the wild card round Jeez. in 1986, which is crazy, right? That's like wild. So if the 49ers end up winning the Super Bowl, we're going to look back at this Raheem Mostert game and be like, that was one of the defining plays that the defining games performances of the season. And there have been so many now. We talked about the Saints game in in early December and that George Kittle play and how important that one was. Uh, We said at the time, like, if the Niners make a Super Bowl run, we're going to remember that one. And then the Drake Greenlaw play in week 17 to keep the Seahawks out of the end zone and, and seal, on, seal that win, uh, which gave the 49ers the number one seed. And, and the buy is super important. I saw Field Yates tweet it out today. I think it's, what, seven years in a row that both Super Bowl teams were top two seeds?
1: Yeah, the, uh, uh, the Ravens were the last team to do it in uh, 2013.
2: Yeah, the buy is crazy important. And, and the way the 49ers were dealing with injuries, it, it was just, like, huge. Yep. Um, even more so than, than home field advantage, but obviously getting the number one seed and not having to go to a place like Green Bay or New Orleans or Seattle to play well, was super important. And now Raheem Mostert, a guy who was on six teams before coming to the 49ers, who survived uh, the roster turnover after Chip Kelly and Trent Baalke were fired after the 2016 season, Mostert hung around as as a core special teams guy. And, and you look at some of the guys that, that did stick around when the 49ers went through that regime change. It was all like highly drafted dudes. It was all first and second round picks. It was, you know, Eric Armstead and DeForest Buckner and Jimmy Ward and Jaquaski Tard and Joe Staley. Yeah. like these are all super talented dudes who were drafted really high because they they, you know, people thought they had high ceilings and, and we're starting to see that now. But you never thought of Raheem Mostert as one of those dudes. He was like the the fourth string running back entering training camp who you penciled in for roster spot because of how good he was on special teams. But now he's like running for 220 yards, the second most in postseason history with four touchdowns. And, and nobody who's ever run for, I think the, the number was uh, LaGarrette Blunt had 166 yards a few years ago in the playoffs with four touchdowns. But this is like legitimately one of the best rushing performances in postseason history. And it's the reason why the 49ers are going to the Super Bowl. And it's coming from a guy who nobody had any expectations for coming into the season. And he looked unstoppable. And it yeah. was
1: crazy. Yeah. And we saw last year he started getting a few more attempts. And there was, it was really clear that, like, oh, this guy's fast and he runs the outside zone really well. He might have a, like, carve out a small role in the offense. But, 29 carries for 220 yards and four touchdowns. First guy to ever go over 200 with four touchdowns in a in a postseason game. Uh I should say four rushing touchdowns just to be specific. But it just kind of speaks to this team as a whole. Uh I I saw a tweet. I think it was was it I think it was Josh Dubow of the AP tweeted that the last first-rounder to catch a pass for the 49ers was Joe Staley last year when he caught a tip ball.
2: Yeah, that's true.
1: I I, I think that's right, and it's it's Mostert who's undrafted. It's uh, Debo Samuel, second-round pick. Matt Breida, undrafted. Uh, George Kittle, fifth-round pick. Kendrick Bourne, undrafted. Like, if you just go up and down this roster, it's a lot of guys like that, but Mostert yesterday shined in just a way that I don't... I, I mean, we... We've all seen him, like, be good, right? Like, there was a... Among 49er fans I talked to, there was this... Probably for the last six or seven games, It's like, why is Mostert not getting more carries? He should be starting. He should be getting all the carries. And he did yesterday, and he turned it into 224 yards and four uh, touchdowns. I just... I, I mean, it's the Raheem Mostert game. And when I look back on the the 2020 nfc championship that's how i'm always going to remember it it's not going to be the jimmy garoppolo through eight passes uh game it's not going to be the richard german uh, interception to seal it game it's going to be the raheem moster game forever
2: and that's wild. yeah I, I don't think there's any doubt about that and it's um the crazy thing was how it started, too, because the Niners go three and out with three straight runs. And it sort with of felt Tevin like. It, yeah, with Tevin Coleman. And it sort of felt like it would be a little bit weird because we've seen the 49ers so often um, win the win the coin toss and end up deferring. And that's always their their choice. And then when, you, when the Packers win the coin toss and they defer, you're like, oh, maybe this is going to be a little bit weird. Maybe this is uh, one of those games where it just starts out a little weird. And it, it did because the 49ers just went three and out having been so good on their first drive throughout the season. Uh, I, I think there are probably what two or three times they, they went three and out on, on their first drive all year. And I know they had more, more touchdowns and scoring drives on their opening possessions in games. So it, it just felt odd. And then you're like, okay, maybe the Packers are going to be a little bit tougher Then the, then the, uh, Packers end up punting. And then it really starts to roll. And then on third and eight from on the fringe of field goal range, you think, okay, this is probably four down territory. Um, but you know, you, you still would like to get the first down here on third down. They run a trap play to the left. And nasty. As soon as soon as he got the ball, you're you 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 are like, oh, it's a run. That's weird. And then the first like a second later, you're like, oh, he he's he's gone. He is gonna score. Like it wasn't even, it wasn't even surprising that he got to the end zone. As soon as he hit the hole and got past the line of scrimmage, it was like, oh, he is he is definitely gone. And then there were other runs where there were like shoestring tackles that that yeah. that could have been long touchdowns too. And and the Packers, in a sense, got lucky that they weren't. And it was just a completely dominant performance and his speed is just something else. And it's like
1: he hits this extra gear when he when he gets into the second level that I just don't think anyone's ever ready for.
2: Yeah. And it's not like it's not like his limbs are flailing around like he's not even moving his arms Mm at all that much. He's just kind of gliding. And uh, guys will say this like he doesn't look like he's moving that fast until you take into account all the ground that he's covering. Yeah. Yeah. And he just like explodes down the field, and it's 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 really unique, frankly. Like Tevin Coleman's fast when he's running well, he's fast, but he doesn't look like that. Right. And even Matt Breida, he doesn't look like that because when Matt Breida's running at full speed, like he his arms are his arms are really pumping, his right. legs are you know he's taking really long strides. And Mostert is just such a smooth runner that it's it's almost deceptive. Yeah. Um, how fast he is. And it, it was just really remarkable to see and, and the blocking, uh Kyle Uzchek has had two really good games uh yeah. in a row blocking George Kittle, just continues to dominate the edges and, and you talk about you know the strength of the Packers defense, it's Zedarius and Preston Smith, they're outside linebackers on the edges. And like they were basically a non factor in the running game. I
1: don't remember their names being called at all. Right.
2: And and Ben Garland, this the backup yep. center who we were I think rightfully so concerned about going into the playoffs ha- has been really good, particularly yep. in the running game. And so it, it, it came together like we thought it would from the standpoint of the 49ers defense was going to throttle green Bay, similar to like they did in that November game. Mm-hmm. Um, but it didn't, I didn't expect Jimmy Garoppolo to only need eight pass attempts. Yeah. That um, was, and, that was
1: very surprising.
2: Yeah. Um, but yeah it it was just I, there was it, a, it was a really remarkable performance from the offensive line and, and I think and we can talk about that too but you you had a well, thought you wanted to hit
1: yeah it, it's actually along those lines and just how thoroughly dominant the 49ers were offensively there was a point I was watching the TV broadcast and while the Packers have the ball to open the second half and they're moving down the field they cut to the Packers' sideline and show their defensive line. And this is coming out of halftime, and their defensive line looked like they just ran a marathon. And I was I was watching with, with my girlfriend and, and her folks were and I had some friends over, and my girlfriend's dad goes, that looks like a defensive line that doesn't want to go back on the field. And that's how they played. And that's something that the 49ers have done so many times this season. And I think early in the year, it got chalked up to the level of opponent that they just made opponents tap out. It was just, you could tell mid-third quarter, early fourth quarter, like, oh, this this team that the 49ers are playing against is just, is just done getting hit today. And they did that to the Green Bay Packers by halftime of the NFC Championship. That is an incredible level of dominance.
2: Yeah, and that's something that was prevalent during the divisional round against the Vikings, right? Like you run the ball 47 times. It is what an offensive line really appreciates. Like I asked Joe Staley about sort of just what having a game plan like that does for an offensive line in a group like that. And he's like, this is as offensive line. And this is what we love about playing football. Like no offensive lineman loves pass protection. And that to me was really interesting. And it made me think about the debate that, goes on you know on twitter a lot and and on the internet with just like you know analytics football analytics twitter favors the passing game obviously and and the case can be made and it's obviously the right case particularly from a statistical standpoint that passing the ball is more efficient than running the ball and you need to have an efficient passing game to to be effective and win in the league the way it's currently constructed with the rules and everything like that but when you run the ball like, it, it's it's kind of like the human element. Like, Joe Staley loves running the ball, does not really enjoy pass protection. Uh, the 49ers sort of playing into the fact that we have a good offensive line, we want to play really physically, and we want to demoralize defenses by just pushing them around for three and a half hours. That's a really effective way to win. And, and you know, Kyle Shanahan, is he said it today, like, The reason why he does that, it's not, you know, he he was asked about uh, going up 28-3 and and not being able to close that Super Bowl out two years ago or three years ago as the Falcons uh, offensive coordinator against the Patriots. Um, His point talking about the running game is like the defense allows him to do that, right? Like he can be conservative in his play calling. Um, It's not just about. You know, wanting to take the defense's soul and and everything like that, and and having balance. It's just Shanahan has always said, as long as it works, I'm going to keep doing it. And to this point, the Vikings, who had a be- better front seven than than the Packers, just overall, particularly like at linebacker, um, the Niners are able to to run the ball down these teams' throats, and these are good teams, and the and they're doing it with inside gap schemes. They're doing it with inside zone as well as the outside zone stuff that they typically do. And so, you know, you talk about Kyle Juszczyk and and we've made the point on this podcast that paying Kyle Juszczyk middling tight end money is not going to be a problem for this team. This the way the offense is constructed. And I know a lot of people look at, well, you give a fullback the highest, the the largest contract in the history of the position like that's a very odd way to build your team. So you look at. Kyle Juszczyk's value to the offense just as a whole. And and in the vacuum of these playoffs, I mean, the 49ers have run the ball 49 times in two games or sorry, 89 times in in two games. And Kyle Juszczyk has been on the field for majority of them. So to pay him uh, middling tight end money, I think makes a ton of sense because of the the versatility that he brings to the offense. And I think versatility is really sort of the whole theme that that makes the 49ers offense what it is. Um, because if you do take away Jimmy Garoppolo or, um, you know, focus on slowing down George Kittle in the passing game, uh, then the 49ers can do other things. And it's almost like they're game plan proof, right? Like if you can run the ball really effectively when you can't throw the ball, then that makes you incredibly difficult to defend. And and if you sell out to stop the run, then I think you have enough in Jimmy Garoppolo and the weapons particularly in play action, if you get everybody up close to the line of scrimmage, that you could be even more dangerous. So w- what's interesting to me about the Super Bowl and, and how this 49ers offense has evolved is that they are so versatile and so much of what they do now, if, if they are operating at a high level, which they have been these last couple weeks, they're kind of game plan proof. And you just have to hope that your dudes can, can play better than their dudes. And that's really, really difficult because the 49ers dudes are not only good, but they have arguably the best offensive play caller in football right now pulling the strings. And it ultimately could lead to a championship, which is a crazy thing to say because I never thought the 49ers would be at this point. Um, you know, it, it did become clear that they would be to this point for me until like the until after the Saints game, I think. The way they played the Saints game, even the Ravens game, like— there were signs of it in that game, the fact that the Ravens were so dominant and beating so many good teams the way they were. And I thought the 49ers did play pretty well in that game all things considered, but um, it didn't click for me that the 49ers actually had a real chance to to win a Super Bowl until that December stretch where, you know, they they throttled the Packers, they went to Baltimore and then they they beat the Saints in that insane game um in the Superdome with with that George Kittle fourth down play.
1: Well, and I think that Saints game, when we talk about Jimmy Garoppolo throwing eight passes, I think that Saints game is why that's not a worry if you're a 49ers fan. Like We've seen Garoppolo on multiple occasions this year win games with his right arm. The Niners just haven't had to because their run game has been so good. Kyle Shanahan had a quote leading up to the, the Vikings game where he talks about, I don't have the exact quote in front of me, I posted it on Twitter though. How basically the team with the most run carries typically wins the game, but you can't just go run it forty times like there's a there's a way to get there that involves the passing game and that involves stringing plays together and making sure you're getting explosive plays in the run and the Niners his, thing, his thing was his executed. thing was yeah.
2: His thing was you will never be able to run the ball if you can't throw it. Right. And you will never be able to throw it if you can't run it, and that's, which is which is pretty unique I feel like.
1: And that is exactly why the 49ers are able to to run it like they did yesterday because if the Packers come out and they bring in three linebackers and they have four down linemen and they're they're putting nine guys in the box, Garoppolo will shred them. Thanks to Shanahan's play calling and his and his system and his play designs like they are they are like you just said they are matchup proof on the offensive side because there are so many different versatile pieces that allow them to give you one look to get you in the defense that they want you in to then isolate the weakest link in that defense and attack it.
2: Yeah, and it also, like, the pre-snap motion thing is is something that I don't think you and I have talked a whole lot about, but no. um, we, we're we probably going to as, as we gear up for the Super Bowl. But the Niners running motions before the snap on 78% of their plays is far and away the most in the league. And it does so many different things for you from an X's and O's perspective. You can identify what the defense is doing. You can uh, move guys around. If guys are in man, you can you can move them around and open up areas of the field to allow someone else to to enter that area of the field where they're wide open. We see it um, you know, with uh, Kyle Shanahan will set a uh, a running back in motion outside, and then that creates space on the inside for Debo Samuel to run a slant. Like you have all of these moving parts and all of these pieces that do exactly what Kyle Shanahan wants them to do. And they're becoming really good at them, right? Like right. Debo Samuel, when the season began, was just sort of this rotational guy. I mean, he he was playing a lot, but he was getting like half the snaps and and splitting time with Dante Pettis and uh, Marquise Goodwin, and obviously Kendrick Bourne was still, you know, obviously in the mix. And so, and now Debo Samuel's like this weapon. Like he's he's this featured weapon that you can run reverses to, and and you can get him open in the flat. And have him in space one on one against a safety if you scheme him open, and have have a lot of confidence that it's going to be a big gain because the safety's not going to be able to bring him down right away. He's either going to break that tackle or he's going to bowl him over, and it's going to take at least another guy to to bring him down. Um, and then you have Emmanuel Sanders who has bought into this th- this idea that like he doesn't need the ball that much and and he's fine with run blocking. Um and Debo Samuels the same way. Debo Samuels like a running back in the sense that like he has no problem with just dominating the guy across from him, whether the 49ers are airing it out 40 times or whether they're running it 50 times. Like and, and it's just this buy-in that that everybody has that I think makes this team really unique. And and um it's not a tangible thing, but like being around all these guys and you 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 can feel the genuine uh, love that they have for one another and they they pull for each other and and Raheem Oster like everybody in the locker room is like over the moon for Raheem Mostert. yeah because because they all see um you know everybody talks about his work ethic and and where he came from and there are a million stories about Raheem Mostert coming out of last night's game including one on the Sacramento Bee which I can't recommend enough um but it, it just everybody's buying in so whether they're running a lot or passing a lot it's like everybody loves the fact that the offensive line is moving guys around and and they're all feeding off that right now. Yeah. And, and playing that way offensively is, is definitely helping out the defense because it's keeping them fresh. It's, it's allowing the, the pass rushers to pin their ears back and do what they do best and get after the quarterback. Um, I mean, the 49ers are just really on a roll right now. And, uh, and you know, the chiefs, the Chiefs are a a incredibly tough team and they do a ton of different things offensively that you have to worry about and they have the best quarterback in the league right now um, and just a ridiculous stable of receivers who can all fly uh, but you know if, if you look at the, the 49ers chances and and their underdogs but underdogs straight up uh, in the last 10 Super Bowls I look today are seven and three Wow. Um, to win, by the way, so
1: they're underdogs by a point and a half, though. That's yeah,
2: so they're not really underdogs. It's up. not. Yeah, it, it's it's basically even, and and how how the money gets t- distributed from from bets are gonna is, that's gonna determine the line ultimately. But point being, like, I think the Niners. I think the Chiefs have the best player on the field in Mahomes, but I think the Niners have clearly have a better roster and far more balance. Yeah, and uh, we see teams win Super Bowls with that kind of formula.
1: Yeah, and and just with what the Niners can offer in the Super Bowl, and we're going to do deep dives on this multiple times, I think, but like just to the 49ers' balance, if they came out in the Super Bowl and started it with five consecutive passes, that wouldn't surprise me whatsoever. And that speaks to uh, just all the different pieces the Niners have that do certain things well. And like I said earlier, I just feel like they are peaking on that side of the ball at the right time. And they're not going to hold the chiefs to 10 points. <laughs> that's no. my, that's my bold take. Um, no. even if, even if the defense plays, uh, they a plus game like Kansas city, just they're, they're going to score some points, but this Niners offense Regardless of the fact they've thrown twenty seven passes in two games, this Niners offense has all the pieces to keep up. And so so I I've seen the take that it's bad they they haven't thrown a lot, but their offense is operating at such a high level that it's just not a concern.
2: Yeah, I, I would agree with you. And and we mentioned the New Orleans game, like Jimmy Garoppolo throwing for three hundred and forty nine yards, four touchdowns, outdoing Drew Drew Brees. Um you know, the, the two Arizona games where he combined for eight touchdowns, uh, like we, Jimmy Garoppolo can do it. Like he can do that when, when the 49ers need him to, and he did, and he did it in Seattle too. And that was a different kind of game. Um, he wasn't asked to throw a whole lot in that one either, but still throwing for 285 yards on just 22 attempts, um, is, is really all you, all you need. And I think going into the game and and I haven't watched a ton of Kansas city yet, but I will dive into them a little bit. Um, I, I think it's one of those things where it's like, if the Niners can score 35 points, I think they can win because I think the defense is good enough to, to hold KC to fewer than 35. And I know 35 is, is like a lot of points, but the 49ers have gotten there. Like they, they've scored uh, they were what, the second highest scoring team in the league? Yeah, the 49ers averaged 30.2 points per game. Um, so I, I think if they can, if Kyle Shanahan goes into the week saying, all right, if if we score 35 or, or 38, I think our defense is good enough to win the game. And and I think, um, I think that's the right mindset to have. And I'm very curious to see what, what the game plan looks like, because I don't think the 49ers are necessarily going to have problems scoring on the Chiefs defense. Um, just because I do trust Kyle Shanahan, and I know that the Chiefs' defense has been playing better of late, but I don't think they've played any any of you know the real elite offenses during that stretch. Yep. Um, so anyway, and, it's
1: and, and like
2: Tennessee,
1: it was all Derrick Henry. They were so run heavy, but that scheme and Ryan Tannehill. I understand how good he was over ten games, but that was that had so much to do with with play action and what derrick henry was also able to do derrick henry ran for 69 yards or 70 yards um in in kansas city and they made Ryan. they got ahead and they made ryan Tannehill try and beat them and he couldn't i think if the chiefs get ahead on the niners jimmy garoppolo can
2: yeah we said we weren't
1: gonna do super bowl talk and here we are
2: yeah no that's (laughs) fine i mean it, it it's it's gonna happen. I mean, we we have four pods to fill before this uh, before the Super Bowl. But I do want to I, I do want to go back because because I wrote about this today and I think it was interesting. I, I kind of enjoyed going back through it and and thinking about the different benchmarks the 49ers went through, um and and what they meant and and sort of how this team evolved into into you know from a question mark into the you know a Super Bowl contender. Like they've won their first two games of the year in Tampa and Cincinnati. Um, after not winning a game in the Eastern time zone since 2014, and they didn't win a single road game all year, right? So the first two weeks of the year, as underdogs, the 49ers were one-point underdogs in both games against Tampa Bay and Cincinnati, which is wild because Cincinnati ended up with the number one pick and were, was the worst team in football this year. Um, so the 49ers can check winning on the road, they can check that off their first two weeks, right? Yep. Um. Then they go to the Rams, the, the defending NFC champs, who were favored in that game as well. I think they're a three-point favorites. Completely throttled Jared Goff, uh, and the team that went to the Super Bowl last year, twenty to seven. And I think it was at that point they're like, "All right, maybe the Niners can actually mess around and win this division." Where we weren't thinking, you know, Super Bowl uh, contention quite yet. Jimmy Garoppolo had yet to really. Uh, prove that he could win a game with his arm at at this point. There were questions um, about that, and, and he hadn't really answered them, maybe aside from that Cincinnati game where we came to learn eventually that Cincinnati was just awful. So then you fast forward. You lose to Seattle at home on Monday night. You don't have George Kittle in that game. Um, I think hindsight is that that was sort of the weird fluky game of the year where they turned the ball over three times, leading to 21 points. They don't have Kittle. Uh, they lose in overtime because their backup kicker replacing Robbie Gold is out for the year. And then comes the three-game stretch. They come back against Arizona after being down, what, 16 nothing or whatever 16-0. it was?
1: 16 nothing. That screen pass to Richie James is low-key mm-hmm. one of the plays of the year.
2: Yeah. Well, they come back, win that game uh, with Jeff Wilson Jr. scoring that late touchdown. And then you have the throttling of Green Bay, which proved that the Niners you know that that wasn't necessarily a fluke <laughs> the packers were coming off a bye that week and the 49ers still handed it to them then baltimore the tough loss but i think a, a overall a pretty encouraging loss given you didn't have joe staley in that game you, you don't have Quan alexander your linebackers don't play particularly well but you still are in position to potentially win a game on the road in crummy weather um Against the best team in the league. And then you go to new Orleans after staying in Florida. The second time you stay away uh, on the East coast to avoid traveling. And then you beat the saints. Drew Brees blows up, has a monster game. Jimmy Garoppolo matches him, has a monster game. And it was at that point for me, it was like, all right, like the Niners, this is super bowl stuff, right? Like this is, right. yep. Th- this is like real, real life contention type stuff. Like you, the saints are already pro The Saints probably would have been the one seed if the Niners lose that game. The Saints are the one seed, and and they probably, I mean, they absolutely wouldn't have gone out in the first round. Obviously, Um, you lose to Atlanta, which isn't really that important because you don't have Richard Sherman. Uh, It didn't. It ultimately didn't change much in terms of the playoff picture. They had to have the win against the Rams, which they got, which was more competitive than than the first matchup. And Jimmy Garoppolo completes consecutive third and 16s on the the final drive Uh, and then you have the game in seattle which we talked about a lot obviously and it was it was very clear at that point winning the number one seed going to seattle place you hadn't won since 2011 that this is a real life super bowl contender after starting the year being like well, this team didn't win a road game last year. <laughs> this team hasn't won in the Eastern Time Zone since 2014. To go from God. that to winning in Seattle uh, to throttling the Packers at home in the NFC title game in front of a wild Levi Stadium crowd, um, it was. Just, it's just really impressive to to see the evolution of this team, and and it's cool, like how happy, like it's it's genuinely cool to see how happy the fans are. Like I, I think it's. You just see it in the stands, like people standing the entire game. There were no empty seats at Levi's for the first 49ers game that that I can remember. Even there were, you know, a couple in the upper deck against the Vikings, but even like as well as Packers fans travel, there were maybe like fact, one yeah. or two small pockets of Packers fans. Yeah, but there was no it's crazy. It was it was all red at Levi's, and I thought the atmosphere even just seeing everybody standing and the noise and all that and the way the, the crowd was the, the way the players were responding to the crowd. Um, it seemed like a really good atmosphere and it's, you know, that's absolutely a positive thing for Levi's because, uh, there had been no home field advantage previously. And I, and I think now we've come to learn that you need to have a good football team in order to create a home field advantage because, um, football fans would rather stay home and enjoy their Sundays than, Go sit out in the sun and watch a bad team play. Yeah, and you and I were
1: both on the on this podcast. We're on the like, we're taking the Niners to go like nine and seven, but you can talk me into eleven and five or twelve and four train. I think that if I, I believe the exact phrasing was all outcomes are on the table for for the yeah. Niners this year. They're but a I high th-
2: variance team. We use yeah, the word high, var- high the term high variance a lot.
1: But go back to Jimmy Garoppolo's preseason debut in Denver, where I think he completed one of six throws. He threw an interception. He had another ball that should have been picked. If you told me at that point all the things you just said, if you just played back what you just said about all the things that happened in the Niners this year, I would have been like, okay, well, that's not on the table. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. It would have been like, okay, well, I said everything going right. That's absurd that that many things. But it, it none of it has been fluky, is the thing. Is right. what they've built looks really sustainable. And I don't want to get into free agency and cap stuff. There's plenty of time over the next several months for that. But what Shanahan has proven that his scheme works. Robert Sala has proven that... His defense works. Uh John Lynch in the front office have proven that they can get guys that those coaches can work with. This is what Jed York wanted when he mutually parted ways with Jim Harbaugh. Was a front office Mut- and a- mutually. Yeah, he mutually made Jim Harbaugh part ways. Uh <laughs> they fired Jim Harbaugh mutually. Um When they did that, this is what he wanted, a front office and a coaching staff that could work together cohesively. And I gave Jed a lot of flack, but I think what he's done in putting together this staff and then stepping back and letting the football guys take over has been great. And he hired the right guys. They've made the right moves. They've needed the ball to bounce their way a couple times, but given how many times it didn't bounce their way, uh, the proverbial ball, not a literal bounce of the ball, but uh, with injuries and stuff, kind of... uh, for how many things didn't go their way the last couple of seasons to have the things go right for them this year. um, I I think you, you, the way you put it before the season was the Niners just kind of feel like they're due. Yeah. And that is really what the season has, has come up like, like even when things go wrong, like Joe Staley breaking his leg in the second game of the season. uh, You were saying this on Twitter, your stream of consciousness uh, uh, tweets that I thought were very good. Uh, if you ever want to blog for Niners Wire, hit me up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, you 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 said it. Like the Niners lost their left tackle, and then two weeks later lost their starting right tackle for several weeks, and didn't miss a beat offensively. That is yeah. insane. With a rookie sixth round pick starting at left tackle and a like journeyman former college tight end that they picked off the alliance of american football scrap heap at right tackle and it worked
2: and they didn't have kyle use during kyle a lot Juszczyk of that
1: check was out they had they plugged in ross dwelly this former undrafted guy from the university of san diego where they don't even give out scholarships and they plug him in at fullback
2: And he's not even like a blocking tight end like Ross Dwelly is a receiving tight end who had to learn how to how to block as a fullback.
1: It's just they it's things going right, but it's not by luck. They've made their luck by picking the right guys, coaching them up and putting them in positions to succeed on both sides of the ball. And that has been remarkable to watch after watching whatever that was through 2015 and 2016 uh, prior to when they started rebuilding this roster. And now that it is a mostly rebuilt roster in the vision that Shanahan and Lynch had, it's it's been
2: really, really remarkable. Um, can I push back on one thing that they did get nope. super, lu- super lucky on?
1: Oh, yes, because I know what you're going to say, and it's a great point, so go for it. You may, you may push yeah, back on this.
2: It takes some luck sometimes. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo gets hurt week three. They go four and 12. They get the number two pick in the draft. Uh, And Nick Bosa just happens to be sitting there and available because the Cardinals pick Kyler Murray, like one year after picking Josh Rosen, right? Nick Bosa has had significant stretches this year where he's been the best player on the field and like the best player on arguably the best defense in the NFL. And it's like, he's invaluable to them right now. Like, I I don't know where the 49ers would be with Nick without Nick Bosa Yep. Um, because of the way he's changed the defense and, and D Ford is, is a very good player and it's an entirely different pass rush with D Ford. But the reason why it's a different pass rush is because his D Ford's presence out there elevates Nick Bosa because the 49ers can dictate matchups and they can do all these two man games and they can be creative and put Ford inside on guards on third down and and move Bosa around. Um, it's just impossible to to see the 49ers have this level of su- success without Nick Bosa right now. And so you get super lucky on th- from that standpoint in that you lose Garoppolo and ultimately you get to your, your best defensive player. And in addition, like all these questions we had about Nick Bosa's durability, he's played in every single game. All of them. Every single one. He hasn't missed a single game this year after playing just two and a half in his last college year at Ohio state and dealing with a hamstring injury in OTAs and then a high ankle sprain early in training camp. He doesn't play in the preseason and then he comes out and he's just, I mean, for he's crazy durable or at least durable enough to play in every single game. Um, Jimmy Ward's been really good. Wrote about him last week. Uh, The, the, uh, you know, we're, we're developing condos pretty rapidly on Jimmy Ward Island um, the beachfront houses. Welcome everybody. Are, by the
1: way, hello. Yeah,
2: the the beachfront houses are are mostly bought and paid for at this point, but we are, uh, we are selling condos around the uh, the sixteenth uh, hole on the golf course. So check those yeah. out at Jimmy Ward Island. You're gonna love it uh, here.
1: Everybody on the street recycles. <laughs>
2: um, but yeah, I mean it, it's just it like you you need to be smart, obviously to 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 build an NFL team and in, into a contender and you need to have continuity and, and cohesion over multiple seasons where you can build a program and, and develop guys. And that's what the 49ers have finally been able to do. And another silver lining in this that is somewhat lucky is that the Browns decided to hire Kevin Stefanski and not Robert Sala. Yeah. So now you get a fourth season of Robert Sala as your defensive coordinator and you get to run the same schemes Um, But it does look like you're going to lose Joe Woods, who um, who probably would have been the 49ers in-house replacement for Robert Sala had he taken the job. Um, So and Joe Woods is on a one year contract anyway. um, And maybe, you know, maybe he would have bolted elsewhere. But I would have to I I have to think that Joe Woods would stick around if he didn't have a defensive coordinator job lined up. And it looks like he's going to get that with the Browns and. Get reunited with Stefanski, who he was an assistant with, with Minnesota uh, for a few years. But that's not a huge story going into the Super Bowl because Joe Woods is still around.
1: Also, to that point, just with Joe Woods of Robert Sala and this defense, I mentioned all the late draft picks and undrafted guys on offense. Uh, How about Emmanuel Mosley? Undrafted out of Tennessee last year, starting in the NFC
2: Championship game. And playing really well.
1: Playing exceptional football.
2: He's a really good tackler, and he yeah. also that interception led to a Raheem Mostert's touchdown.
1: That interception might have low key been a, like a game changer because if Green Bay goes down and scores a touchdown here, let's just say they do that, it's twenty to seven going into half, and Green Bay is
2: getting the ball, right? And, and instead, it's twenty seven nothing.
1: Right. So um, that we, was a huge play.
2: Sneaky we talked a big play. <laughs> we talked about Raheem Mostert um, and his speed and all that. Uh, how about him? just dump trucking Tremont Williams at the goal line that that uh dude. one score he had before halftime dude i think that was the one after mosley's yes interception yes that
1: was that was one of those ones where the db is giving the cursory jog and the running back is not giving the cursory shoulder right and uh manny got leveled we also got robbed of an all-time great uh receiving play in the playoffs when debo samuel on his 30 yard reception uh railroaded whoever oh, the safety yeah, was, yeah, yeah.
2: and then stumbled and fell down he totally should have scored there
1: yeah uh and that, I think that would have were...
2: been the most debo samuel touchdown ever if he'd scored ever. there
1: and i think some people might have had debo samuel over 49 and a half receiving yards uh on a prop which is a brutal L to take because he had 46 yards on two receptions on the first drive and then nothing the rest of the way. I'm not mad. I'm
2: just saying. Well, he did have a couple runs in the third quarter that were big. Those
1: aren't receiving yards. So like that doesn't help me or the people with the over 49 and a half receiving yards. Um, Do we (laughs) want to talk about post game at all? Yeah, because there's one very specific thing I need explained (laughs) from post game like, uh, we can we can hear the sound and see the sound elsewhere, but you have a photo on Instagram. I'm going to describe it, and then you can say what happened. It's okay. George Kittle taking a selfie with Chris while they hold up Kittle's shirt featuring a shirtless Jimmy Garoppolo. Take it away on how this happened.
2: Okay, so going back, um, going back to during the week, Jimmy Garoppolo has a um, a shirt of George Kittle's face and he's like, I don't know why George put this in my locker like here. You guys take a picture of it. He didn't say here. Take a picture of it. But we asked to take a picture of it because, um, you know, we're trying to we're trying to go viral on content, dog, on the old social media. Yeah, so anytime if, like any interaction that you can get, you know, something like that's photographable between Jimmy Garoppolo and George Kittle it tends to do pretty well on the internet. So take the picture, uh, and Jimmy Jimmy actually did a really good job of of playing it up. Like, oh, George stuck this in my locker. Um, turns out that was actually a shirt that Jimmy Garoppolo got made of George, and he made it look like. George was playing a trick on him. So George, to get him back, found a photo or. Well, so he says somebody just sent him that shirt, which I'm not buying at all.
1: That Um, for sure didn't happen.
2: Right. So George Kittle, after the game, everybody else is wearing the NFC championship shirts over their uniforms. They're still in their pads. So it's kind of funny looking. Kittle comes into his press conference and it's Jimmy Garoppolo from uh, either the senior bowl or the com I, I have to think it's the senior bowl because the senior bowl has that really weird weigh in thing where right. like everybody gets on stage in their underwear and they get measured and all like the senior bowl people, uh, tweet out the measurements, which is a completely normal human thing to do. Um, anyway, it's a picture of Jimmy Garoppolo, just in briefs or boxer briefs specifically. And so I go up to George, I'm like, George, let me get a A photo of the shirt. Uh, All I want is the shirt, and he's like, "No, you like you have to put the shirt on if you're getting a picture of it." And I'm like, "I'm absolutely not putting that shirt on, like for multiple reasons, including like hygienic reasons. Like you've just sweated and played in a football game, and and, uh, got beer poured all over you. The shirt definitely smelled like beer. I'm like, I'm not putting this on. Um, And then ethically, I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to make it look like I'm out here celebrating." you guys winning. Like I'm a, you know, I'm a journalist. I'm not I, I don't have any rooting interests <laughs> from a team perspective. Come like, on, I George, refer- I'm a
1: journalist. <laughs>
2: <Right>. <laughs> exactly. I can't I can't be biased. Like but but seriously I and and I'm like I, I can't he was like uh he was like all right well you take take a selfie then and I'm like no if we're taking a selfie you are taking the selfie and then so George takes my phone. Uh, we hold the shirt up together, and then uh, and then he takes the picture. And Kyle was making fun of my face because I'm making a very like awkward face because I'm like doing the half smile where I'm like I'm happy to be here, but I didn't want to have like this big cheesing smile because I didn't want it to it's... look like I was celebrating th- celebrating the win. Uh, so it's just extremely awkward, but it it is um, a rare opportunity for. For me to uh, to actually prove that I talk to the athletes and I don't just make up everything I write.
1: <laughs> well, it's cool from from the perspective of somebody who's not there to to see that like there's real human interactions that happen between reporters and 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 players because right. so often we just see press conferences or we see the videos of media scrums and I think the perception is that that's the only interaction. Like the media scrum happens and then the player goes, anything else? All right, thanks guys. And then turns back to their locker, the media all walk away and that's the end of it. But it's not. And I think it's, I think it's kind of cool to see that. Um, I know that, that you had that one photo. Uh, I know Jennifer Lee Chan at NBC Sports Bay Area has had a ton like that. Yeah. Um, uh, Uh, Rob louder. Our buddy is, uh, when he, when he covers, um, I keep wanting to say spring training. That's what's throwing me off right now. Training camp is what it's called when he covers (laughs) training camp. Uh, no, I know he gets to like, he gets to know guys and he talks about that. And it's just, it's cool knowing that like the interactions between the media and players go beyond the, I'm asking questions. I'm answering questions. Like as somebody kind of on, I'm, not all the way on the outside, but who doesn't canvas the locker room when he's not there every day? That's that's a cool thing. And I know that you're making an awkward face, but rest assured, uh, I-, I thought it was really high quality content. You're making a face <laughs> like when your mom brings out embarrassing photos of you in front of like your friends or a significant other, and yeah. you're like you're like taking it in stride and like kind of smiling, but you're not super stoked about it. It was a right. like, perfect face
2: and there was also like a large contingent of media people around. And I'm like, I, I do not ever want to be the person that's right. like, right. Right. Trying to, Hey, like, Hey George, let's take a picture together. Like I, I just didn't. And there, there are probably people who judge me and my ethics because they saw it and don't really understand the relationship that that Kittle and I have, which is kind of an odd one that I don't really even know how to explain. Um, it's definitely positive And, And to your point, though, about like uh, the media having relationships with the players, like a lot of these dudes are good dudes. And it's it's very unique because I mean, covering this team, I, I first started covering this team in 2013 and it was a team full of super badass football players, but very few of them were like personable guys um who really did much to to speak to the media at all really and and some of that came from you know way up top Trent Balky of course is infamous for hating reporters and and wanting to keep us uh, at arm's length and treat us like mushrooms and and things like that whereas this current group of players there is a ton of dudes who are super approachable who you can talk to about anything like I can go up to like Ten, 10 different dudes in the locker room and talk to them about Star Wars or, um, you know, Game of Thrones and that was happening or whatever else is happening, you know, around the league. And, and it's very, it, it's friendly. And, it and, uh, a lot of us now are able to develop rapports with these guys, which hasn't been the case before. And, um, yeah. And so it's, it's, it's really positive from that standpoint, because I mean, it's overall, it's just more pleasant to like go in the locker room and know you can shoot the shit with guys and, and not have them worried that you're going to use what they say against them. Like we have a, there's a good, healthy understanding of, of that, you know, what's on and off the record and, and things like that. And and we don't report a lot of the stuff that, that we hear or, you know, the players say necessarily. And, um, but you know, that wasn't always the case. So it's, it's, uh, one of the reasons why I think this team is so likable, not only because they like each other and the energy that they have all the time, but they're very accessible, particularly from, you know, an NFL standpoint, it's, it's really rare. And we're able to write in-depth stories that I think fans really like because these guys allow, uh, the media to have that type of access. So a lot of personality on this team. Um, and that was an example, George Kittle, Like I'll walk past George and he'll—he's snatched my uh my reporting notebook out of my pocket and like stolen it and then like thrown it on the ground and done shit like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's this whole thing, (laughs) like. Anyway, there there's a lot of stuff that I probably shouldn't say in the podcast, but (laughs) it's uh it's it's fun hanging out and I can't wait to finish this and hear what you were gonna say.
1: What's that? I said I can't wait to finish this and hear what you were gonna say. <laughs> um, the 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 reason this I think matters is it speaks a lot to the culture the Niners have built, and right. I think a lot of what goes on in the locker room and the vibe in the locker room. Now, like winning, kind of begets a positive locker room vibe, but I think it's I, I've not been in a ton of NFL locker rooms, but it seems like these guys like genuinely enjoy playing football together and being around each other a lot which is kind of a which is kind of a big deal so I'm really looking forward to in the lead up to the Super Bowl all the stories about how much fun the 49ers are because I think we're going to learn a lot of stories that uh, we haven't heard yet about some of the stuff that goes on uh, in that very tight locker room
2: yeah I agree and it starts like you said with with Kyle Shannon and John Lynch because that's sort of how they are um, but yeah, it's fun. I mean, it's, it's, it's just, it's still insane to me that this is, this team is going to the Super Bowl. but, um, so cool. it's, it's where they are. And it seems like, I mean, for 49ers fans, I think the most exciting thing is that it seems like it's sustainable. Um, like this, I, I think Kyle Shanahan is good enough and they, they've built a strong enough foundation and, and a program there that, um, even as you know, players cycle in and out through free agency and things like that, like this could end up being something that's sustainable over the long haul. and that's ultimately what Jed York wanted to build. Um, a lot of these guys are young. Uh, I don't I don't believe Kyle Shanahan or John Lynch to be like a volatile personality to wear this thing as a shelf life. I think they both, uh, are able to adapt their personalities in a way that that they can make this partnership work for a really long time. Um so I think that's all positive and uh, and the Fourniers are in the Super Bowl and they get to go against the chiefs in Miami. um Kyle knows every single word to the uh, will Smith welcome to Miami song. Not every single the word, not all you the know, words. you know you know enough. I know of the words an offensive amount of the words right. It's not really that offensive though. I know like the rap noises. I'm a big like rap noise guy. You know, like before the guys go into their flows, you like making noises. Yeah, the noises. like little ad libs. Yeah. Uh, uh, uh. Like you know, if if you were yeah. if you were to hear the Miami beat,
1: can y'all feel that? Can be... <laughs> y'all feel that? Ha 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 ha.
2: That's 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 getting jiggy with it. Um, but anyway, I think that's all. I know we all got, the words guys. to that one too. Yeah, Big Willie
1: style. Great album, man. <laughs>
2: Um, a lot of good. Welcome to Miami, gifts. Shout out to Twitter for that. Gifts or gifs?
1: Oh, because the game is in Miami.
2: The Super Bowl is in Miami. I get yeah. it now. I've never been to Miami.
1: Oh, I I that? think it's right up your alley. I've What's not been either, but from what I know from the Will Smith song. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's everyone true. has hundred thousand dollar cars. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'd and like, the yeah. water's so clear you can see to the bottom. Sure.
2: Okay. Yeah. That's.
1: Right up my alley. Okay. Bienvenido we'll a um, Miami. We,
2: we will talk to you guys later this week. I guess we should point out that the 49ers are going to have a normal practice week. Um, it's not going to be a bye with with no access or anything. They're going to practice Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Kyle Shanahan said he's treating it like, uh, like they're playing the Chiefs on Sunday. And the point of that is to um, get all, everything important done before you go to Miami so you don't have to scramble and do any real like game plan installation while you're trying to deal with all the media stuff going on uh so they're gonna practice this week which means they're gonna be open locker rooms Wednesday Thursday and Friday so there will be content and quotes and uh maybe some more funny pictures we'll have to see um but yeah keep it locked appreciate everybody listening subscribe rate and review wherever you get your podcasts uh check out com and uh read the sacramento b sac slash 49ers directly to all for all your for all your content needs and follow us on twitter and instagram and all that jazz and we'll talk to you guys later in the week